0: Welcome to Securing Digitalization, the Siemens Cybersecurity Podcast. Our hosts, Natalia Oropesa and Milko Ross. Welcome to the new season of Securing Digitalization and a new episode. And it's my pleasure to introduce my co-host, the Global Chief Cybersecurity Officer at Siemens, Natalia Oropesa.
1: Welcome. Thank you. And uh, and I am, as well, having the pleasure to be again with the fabulous, unique Mirko Ross. So thank you, Mirko, for, for being with me today again. Happy to have you. And today we both have a very special guest for today's podcast, and he is Evangelos Usunis. And he's the head of policy development and implementation unit. At the European Agency for Cybersecurity, so called ENISA. So, welcome. It's an honor for both of us, for Birko and for myself, to have you today here in the podcast, Evangelos.
2: Natalia, um, Mirko, thank you very much. It's my honor, actually, to be here today with you. And uh, I look forward you know, to the discussion that we are going to have.
0: Very cool. We want to talk about a very, very important topic. It's about why cybersecurity needs a regulatory framework in the European Union and beyond. And to me, this sounds like a complicated challenge. So, how can we get that all together? And by that, it's really a pleasure to have you here, Evangelos, because I would like to know a little bit more about what you, are your thoughts on cybersecurity and your work in Enisa. And by that, let me start with a little provoking question. So, is the European Union trying to harmonize cybersecurity same like they did with bananas a couple of years ago, defining a common framework of what is the right form and size of a banana to be traded along all member states in the European Union? So, Evangelos, are you doing the same with cybersecurity now?
2: Now, I don't know if I'm in the business of uh, regulating bananas or uh, something like this, but cybersecurity is absolutely a very important uh, subject. Uh, Our societies, our economies, our democracies are basically rely on IT and uh, the the pace of digitalization is increasing. And um, we can somehow make the economy, make the democracy Um, somehow work only and only if we make sure that, you know, there is some trustability, there is some security in the system. Now, um, of course, uh, these are very complex ecosystems, especially in the European Union, in the single market, you know, with the free movement of goods and services. um, Countries depend on each other, companies depend on each other. And the cybersecurity is a a very important topic that might disrupt supplies, that might disrupt services. So um, you cannot leave it like this. eh? You cannot expect that, uh, you know, companies will suddenly uh, regulate themselves, you know. So for several years, we hoped that that would be the case. But we realized like, as it happens usually in Europe, there are different levels of maturity, Uh, member states who are uh, very good and others who are not very good, Uh, uh, companies who are very proactive and they are very good on cybersecurity and others who are basically not so good. So we reached the point where the commission realized that they should intervene by issuing some recommendations initially and then bringing the member states together to collaborate, to share information, to understand the responsibility. And um, the last three, four years, this thing has somehow accelerated a bit, you know, with the advent of the NIS Directive and uh, the the positive experiences and the positive lessons, you know, out of the NIS Directive. So um, we still are in the process of improving cybersecurity in Europe. There are things still to be done. And we see a lot of proactiveness, you know, from member states and from industry in this in this area. So we are far away from regulating bananas, you know, so we haven't reached this point.
0: <laughs> so what I've seen as well, that there are tasks where you need to look into the future. For example, how can you increase cybersecurity on artificial intelligence? And what are the standards for cybersecurity and AI? Um, this is, to me, a rather futuristic topic on the one side, and, uh, but as well, it's so important that you think uh, this with stakeholders from industry, as this technology is carried out by business faster than regulators can adopt. So, Natalia, what is the Siemens contribution and views on such regulations towards cybersecurity?
1: Yeah, let me tell you, when it comes to standards and regulations, things are certainly, ha- or things have certainly improved within the EU since the NIST directive was enacted, but it can be improved. And uh, to say, today we still don't have an harmonized landscape of cybersecurity regulations, standards and norms within the European Union. There are national laws. Such as the German IT security law 2.0 and legal initiatives on the EU level which form a mix of regulation with contradicting cybersecurity requirements. So let me explain to you what is my day-to-day. I mean, we sell products and we have products all over the world. Uh, and um and the regulations, frame like like you say, evangelos before, that those are needed, and those have mainly the goal to protect us. Now, what what I found in my day today is that um, that they need to be harmonized, and especially in Europe, because otherwise we don't we don't add protection, so we don't increase the protection but we rather increase the complexity of companies like Siemens and many others. So let me, let me be a little bit more specific. In the, in the case of Siemens, what I have to do and what we have to do is to have, number one, uh, our experts are investing, of course, time and that, that we do, that we do with, with a lot of, of uh, uh, let's say, joy, and we enjoy that, participating in the different expert groups so that we can advocate and contribute and make this harmonization happen in the, in the European Union. Number two, we also have some set of experts that we call regulations rather. So they are all the time watching of the different regulations and, and, and looking into the consequences of those regulations in several products in the different parts of the world because of course we cannot afford not to be compliant. so we need to be compliant and of course the adaptations uh, in our products if needed, they need to be done with time. so that's something that we cannot do from one day to another right. And, and in addition to that, we also have experts that are all the time looking whether these regulations and these settings or this needed, uh, the, the uh, compliance measures are not contradicting themselves, and if yes, then how can we solve it? So the more harmonization we have, and especially in the EU, right? As EU, we compete with others in the world, like China, like the US, and so on and so forth. So the more harmonization we gain, then stronger we are in regard To our products. So this is this is what I have to say, and this is what this is one of my major concerns in in my day-to-day operations.
0: When we look to data privacy regulation, the European GDPR has become a global blueprint for protecting privacy. Is it that we can build a blueprint as well for cybersecurity in Europe? So that regulation is not only seen as an obstacle for business. Um, It could be a unique selling point for business. Evangelos, is it the way we can go with regulation in Europe?
2: Look, um, indeed, GDPR is a very big success for Europe, and uh, one of the that's why this has created a a school of thought that is called regulations made in Europe. You know, and uh, I think the Commission and the policymakers, the Parliament are thinking along these lines. But cybersecurity is a very particular topic. Uh, First of all, it's a very sensitive matter. Member states have uh, ownership. It has to do with, uh, you know, sovereignty. And uh, the commission is collaborating with the member states to find a common ground, a momentum. Of course, these discussions are, are not easy and uh, we all understand that in a common market there should be some collaboration and we all have to agree on, on, on some let's say basic uh, rules and uh, some basic uh, let's say standards. But uh, I can tell you that uh, sometimes uh, this is not easy uh, to make, especially at a regulatory level. So ENISA's role is basically this, to bring the member states together when it comes to policy implementation and to develop good practices. And these good practices are somehow on a, the best approaches of the different countries. And we offer these good practices back to the countries that are going to implement the policies and hoping that all of them will follow you know, the best advice. Um, but this is again non-binding and a lot of countries actually do b- but we don't have a guarantee. Uh, this is the best that we can do uh, in terms of uh, you know uh, consolidating this area and making sure that you know there is a, ki- a kind of a common approach. In addition to this in certain areas, you know the commission also made some progress, uh, for example with a certification. Approach so NISA has a new mandate now on European level. We can develop schemas and uh, in certain areas, and we are already doing it in the area of cloud. And uh, these schemas uh, more or less set the baseline, you know, for Europe. They are not mandatory and eh? they are voluntary again, but still, they achieve what you would like to have as as industry. So I understand that you are doing business in all over Europe, you would prefer to comply to one set of rules and not to 27 different rules. This is something that bothers the commission and the policy and they would like to solve this problem. But it is not easy because the topic has to do with, uh, with the national sovereignty and uh, what we have so far is the best uh, approach possible, if I can, I can <laughs> use the term. And we go in this direction and like many other things in Europe, uh, such kind of discussions take time. And in this, in, the, in this direction goes also the proposal for the NS Directive 2 that we are going to discuss I hope uh, later. So um, don't lose hope. <laughs> On the contrary, remain optimistic, things will get better, you know, are getting better. And, and I can tell you with the advent of the NS Directive of EIDAS and other policy interventions of, of the Commission, the certification, for example, uh, things are are, are yeah. improving significantly. I
1: am, I am optimistic and I appreciate, certainly appreciate this push or for a you know, to put us to put the countries in the EU together and to harmonise and share best practices, because certainly this is very very useful. Now, for no. example,
2: the NIS directive, uh, Natalia, um, it was exactly this to develop a common level playing field, you know, for member states. And I can tell you, with this as a leverage, you know, many countries made improvement. They made a lot of investments. You know, they developed their own strategies, cybersecurity strategies. They developed uh, an internal structure, you know, and uh, these have paved the ways, you know, for, uh, for more awareness and things uh, became much better. So you don't necessarily need uh, mandatory regulations. And, you know, very well as a CISO in a big company, sometimes, uh, you know, it's not a matter of uh, complying to regulations. Cybersecurity cannot be solved only with regulation.
1: Absolutely not. I am, I am with you, but it helps a lot especially not only to, we talk about harmonization of, of, of regulations, but I also talk, talk and think about harmonization of measures. For instance, in a factory, in an OT environment, without that harmonization, we really cannot protect ourselves. And I want to comment back on, on your comment on, on, on national sovereignty. We, which is certainly a very important aspect, but, but sometimes I think we, we in the EU, we should follow a, a risk-based approach. And, uh, and, and I am very sensible because I have to face this day to day, <laughs> really day by day. We, we all have a common enemy and we all have a, a common goal, which is to be successful competing with our products, with our EU products. And based on that common goal and common enemy, we can derive from there the the different risks that we have. And and if if we derive from that the different risks that we have, then I am not sure where this where is this national sovereignty ranked, right? So I think we need we we need, and I would I really would like to to focus more on, on what is what What is it that we need now from the framework perspective, from the cooperation among countries, so that we can protect ourselves from this common enemy? And what is it that we can do in order to be more competitive and faster on both things, on fighting the common enemy and being more competitive with our European products, right?
2: I mean, in terms of competitiveness, I can tell you that the idea of the certification the EU-level certification goes in this direction because uh, it will simplify, you know, um, the procedures and a lot of companies in the future in certain areas will most probably comply with the EU schema, you know. So uh, I expect a lot of uh, improvements, you know, in competitiveness. In terms of collaboration, as I said, uh, the NS Directive paved the way and developed the infrastructure, you know, for this cooperation, at the tactical and strategic level and recently we develop a lot also the element of the operational cooperation. So if there is an issue, if there is a crisis and so on, things are getting better and as I said, you know, not all countries are of equal basis but these regulations like the NS directive, are uh, in my opinion the right instrument given the political sensitivities and what is possible mm-hmm. in the EU landscape. Yeah,
1: uh, absolutely. Now, tell me what do you think the, about the speed and how can we increase the speed of, of, of this I mean you say there is hope and I, I do have hope and I do see this positive I think we are getting better absolutely I mean the nice is a clear uh, improvement already but 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 still a long way to go and we have to do a lot so and uh, and this this, conversations disagreements they take time so how, what what do you think about that about the speed that we have and about what is it that we can do especially from my company from my from my contribution as a company what is it that we could do to speed up uh, this agreement?
2: Look, uh, there is in a good pace already because uh, the topic has reached the political level. You know, prime ministers, ministers are now talking about cybersecurity. So they all understand the importance of it. And the uh, difficult discussions that in the past uh, took years, you know, they are accelerating just to give you an example, I mean, in the past, the negotiations about the NIS directive lasted around three years, you know. So now we are in NIS directive two. I hope that that will be much faster. And uh, indeed, ENISA as an institution, you know, uh, is one of a, one of a kind in in the world. I mean, we are at the at the disposal of member states and help them, you know, with all these things. But um, it is the responsibility of the private sector as well to recognize, you know, the the importance of the topic, and uh, it's uh, it's to sell cybersecurity as a competitive advantage, you know, as a as a way of attracting customers, and uh, I, this is. Something that in combination with, for example, with GDPR eh, and the privacy-preserving policies of the union, that can be another uh, important you know, flag that Europe can, and the European industry, eh, with uh, Siemens being one, one of its important uh, representatives, actually to demonstrate to the world that please uh, buy European products, they are uh, preserving privacy, they are preserving security
0: let me step in here with two important things. First of all, we have at least 27 European member states negotiating on a common understanding. But additionally, we have the US and China and Russian perspective, who needs to come in as well into a common framework from a global perspective. So cybersecurity is a global challenge and Siemens is a global player. So Natalia, you need to handle all of the there's different cybersecurity regulations where you do business. So my understanding, if you have a common understanding of 27 European member states, it's easier to discuss with the other big players in cybersecurity regulations about what are the standards, um, where should we go. Correct me if this is wrong. And second, the industry needs to take responsibility Industry companies showing responsibility towards cybersecurity should have a competitive advantage on the market. And Natalia, we see with the chart of trust that Siemens and other players are doing that already. Because with the chart of trust, you are implementing cybersecurity principles together with other industrial partners and um, organizations to bring in your own cybersecurity principles and standards in your own Ecosystem, and as well, even you're pushing your suppliers. So for cybersecurity, you're extending your own standards as well in your own Siemens ecosystem. And I had an interview with Stefan Zatman from Siemens Governmental Affairs, and he was telling me about the Charter of Trust and why it is so important for cybersecurity and the Siemens partner. The Chart of Trust is a cross-industry initiative and with the Associated Partner Forum reaches also perspectives from non-profit organizations, from governmental authorities and regulators. And this result-driven approach really offers something tangible and makes also an offer for the regulators. So let me take the example of Principle 2 responsibilities throughout the digital supply chain. Here we do have with the baseline requirements, with the risk-based approach and with the verification methods, we do offer, uh, let's say, a regulatory approach, which is based on industry expertise and based on best practices. And therefore, um, we would like to see this uh, engaged in the discussion. Evangulos, you had spoken about the NIS. It's the European Union Network and Information Security Directive. Now, an update of this NIS is in progress and going on. Can you tell us a, a little bit more about what is the perspective of this and the timeline?
2: Yes. So, as we discussed previously, the NIS directive came in force three, four years ago, and it was, in my opinion, a, a milestone for a European cybersecurity regulation, One, one of the first in the world, I think. And we learned a lot and things have been improved in certain sectors. But, uh, you know, we also realized that there are some issues still uh, to address, to improve. At the same time, technology has evolved as well. And uh, it it was a moment where the European Commission uh, said that uh, we are going to evaluate, you know, the impact of the NS Directive and come up with any new steps. And this is actually the idea of the NS Directive 2 is not a revolution, it is actually an incremental change. It is based on NIS Directive 1, and it brings some improvements. So, for example, it adds a few new sectors. It deals uh, with the matter of the digital service providers and uh, cloud, which is an important infrastructure nowadays. There were some issues about incident reporting, uh, for example, the thresholds and what kind of incidents were reported. So this... Is changing a little bit, and there are uh, more emphasis also on other elements, like, for example, uh, country peer reviews. This is part of a big cybersecurity package, and there are many more uh, elements, you know, related to cybersecurity, I have to say. Like, for example, the important and very impressive work of the European Union on 5G. This was also an important uh, element. And um, the NS directive actually is a, a proposal at the moment. It was published mid of December last year, and uh, the Portuguese Presidency is now pursuing negotiations with the member states and the Commission. And um, I am I know that the negotiations are progressing well, and I hope that uh, this time we will not need too much time to to finish this. Uh, but uh, As you know very well, the the devil is always in the details.
0: So, Natalia, now we know that the NIST directive will be refurbished and improved. So, this is in Europe. As we discussed before, Siemens is doing business all over the world. So, how can you manage as a company to have an overview on all these different regulation initiatives going on? And how you can take care that your voice is heard as well when regulators are discussing?
1: Well, two to, to, uh, to measures for that one. One is we do have experts that are continuously contributing in the different forums that we have internationally for issuing new regulations and the consultations that some of the regulators do. We are always participating uh, we we have some activities as well in Charter of Trust, uh, and uh, and we are really contributing all over the place in China, in the US, in in Europe, in Germany, you name it. This is this is this is one way that we have. the the, the other the other is, is of course we put a lot of effort in making sure we are compliant and we are secure and our products are secure. So we are constantly evaluating, identifying, and making sure that, that we are compliant. And, and, and that's okay. I mean, I, I, I do it gladly. Because, of course, that will secure the digital world. And if we don't secure the digital world, then we will not have trust in that digital world, and we don't want this to happen in general. So this is, this is, this is what we have to do, and and we do it. Now, um, obviously, we pay a lot of attention of regulations that are, in fact, protecting us, and not the ones that are adding administrative, uh, work on us. So this is this is this is this is, this is what we what we ab- advocate for, right? And um, what I wanted to say, you and feel like this is maybe this is a question back to you, uh, Evangelist, while, while I was thinking about answering your question, Mirko, about everything what we do is. Uh, I reflect on the SMEs or the small and medium enterprise. And I want to have your opinion on and uh what, are, what is your thinking about them? Um because of course I told you it's a complexity and I, we have to pay attention, we have to invest in the expertise, in the experts, in the in the workforce that is behind all of this. But but what happened with them? And, 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 of, and, of course, I also want to ask, what is it that you think we companies, big companies can do to help them? Because at the end of the day, we are in, in this all together. and We all have to support this digital world. What, what, what's your opinion on that one?
2: Yes, true. I mean, the SMEs are very vulnerable. Right? They don't have the means, the resources to invest on ICT and especially cybersecurity. They don't have um, also the awareness also the governance internally eh? and uh, they cannot afford to have a, a CISER team they cannot afford to have a complicated you know, uh, uh, mechanism for dealing with uh, with compliance and so on. So we are aware of this and we try to help them as much as possible by developing good practices either high-tech SMEs, uh, for example we have done this, Mirko knows very well for IoT and we gave the love, a lot of good practices, how to develop secure IoT products, for example, or other SMEs who are users of technology, we come up with some awareness raising material and explain them You know what they can do. Um, technology helps as well a bit because a few of them are going to the cloud and the cloud offers them a more secure environment, but still the problem remains. And I think it is the responsibility of the big companies to drive to to be the role model, you know. And I know that around big companies, there are usually big clusters, ecosystems, you know, of SMEs working with you. So this is your opportunity to influence. So if you are the senior, let's say, and uh, the SMEs are, you know, the, the juniors uh, in your network, uh, in the way that you behave, in the contractual relationships that you have with these people, in the procurement you know, requirements that you put with these small SMEs, you can educate them and um, you can share with them the knowledge and the expertise that you have developed so that they don't need to invest. This is something that you can do also from your side. And of course, we as uh as a public body, you know, paid by taxpayers money, we have also a big obligation to to help them and we we, we do our best uh, for mm-hmm. sure, but it's a huge sector uh, for Europe eh? we talk about uh, hundreds of thousands of SMEs, even millions, and um, it is very difficult, you know, for a small agency like Enisa to reach out to all of them so if we put our energy together, our resources together, you know, we might improve the situation. I, I'm not so sure that we are going to solve it, but definitely we're going to improve it.
0: But look, I'm the startup here in the podcast.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So tell us what is it that you need from all of us? <laughs> and sign one big company.
0: <laughs> well my startup is a cybersecurity company and we have to fulfill of course cybersecurity standards. So if we go with industrial players, for example, we have to fulfill the ISO seventy thousand one cybersecurity standard. And this is really, to be honest, a complicated framework for a small or medium enterprise or a startup. It's 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 not easy to understand. It's so complicated that even we needed to hire external advisors who helped us to fulfill the standards and all the requirements to understand it and so on. So from an SME perspective, I would love to see more easy practical standards and recommendations. I think some standards have been built for large enterprises and less for SMEs. So, So yes, we need more easier to implement standards for SMEs. And yes, um, that's my message to you and Evangelus to support um, us here. Don't forget the SMEs. And from the other side, we see, of course, that the big industrial players are forcing us as SME or standard to fulfill the standards because otherwise we're not getting a contract, which is okay because... If not, um, I mean, if you don't implement cybersecurity procedures, it's bad, so it's okay. Um, And, for example, that's what I like on the Charter of Trust, because it's forcing the industrial suppliers to take care about cybersecurity.
2: Yes, there is a a notion, you know, that uh, security is something that you can fix later. And a lot of startups, you know, might have this. That uh, let's uh, capture the market, let's uh, gain some uh, momentum, and then later, you know, we can go back in the products, you know, and uh, fix them, patch them. And I can already tell you that this doesn't work. It costs much more money, you know, to patch later. So Mm -hmm. my recommendation to the smart, uh, you asked for a very simple advice, you know, my advice to you is, you know, (laughs) security by design and security by default already improves a lot, you know, some of the issues.
0: Yeah.
1: I am with you. That's why we work very hard in security by design and security by the four.
0: And I know Natalia that you're super engaged on security by design.
1: Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. We we incorporate security from the beginning of the development of our products, and then we follow on the operation and then uh, uh, on the maintenance of the products. So we, we I, I am really, I am really. Um, Convince that to include security from the beginning, from the development phases, is going to cost cents and could prevent you from spending millions later on, whether you spend those millions in the fixes that you need or you spend those millions in facing uh, WannaCry or ransomware attack, you know.
2: Natalia, this is a new generation of executives like yourself, you know, who are entering into this field Uh, until very recently, eh, five, six years ago. I mean, the boards of big companies, they were considering cybersecurity, maybe not a good return on investment. But now they realize, you know, because of all these attacks, WannaCry and so on, how expensive it could be. So I think we have grabbed the attention of politicians and of CEOs and we are on a good track, I think.
1: Yes, that's right. It looks much better than before. Absolutely, absolutely
0: right. (laughs) To me, this was almost the perfect final statement for this podcast. We have talked on a complex topic and a huge challenge because this is all to be thought on a global level. And I understand that we need regulations because otherwise the things will not improve because we need a common global commitment in cybersecurity. So, by that, this was a really good discussion. And we had a lot of information we will link in the show notes. So, have a look there. Thanks for joining, Evangelos and Natalia.
1: Yeah, Evangelos, thanks a lot. It was really nice speaking with you and discussing with you these matters. And thank you again, Mirko. It's always a pleasure being together with you. Thank you.
2: Mirko, Natalia, also from my side, thank you very much. It's a great pleasure and I'm I'm very happy to participate in in a call like this with a representative from a a company like Siemens, a a huge engineering powerhouse, you know, in Europe. And uh, I'm very glad to see that you take cybersecurity very seriously and you are uh, doing your best, you know, to educate people and that such a podcast actually is in the right direction. Thank you very much.
0: Securing Digitalization, the Siemens Cyber Security Podcast.